Um, this week on Wednesday is the beginning of Lent in the Christian calendar. And what that means is it's the 40 plus days of preparation spiritually to celebrate Easter. It's a time in the church year when we uh, when we quiet our hearts before God and we some people fast and some people spend intentional times in prayer, etc. Um, and the way that the church calendar works is it, it, it works off of the lunar calendar for the the Jewish folks uh, calendar because we kind of coincide somewhat, but not so, not exactly. And so our, our calendar changes just a little bit because. Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent, which is this Wednesday, always changes throughout the year on the on the on the the, the calendar that we use for our day to day stuff. And so the story that we're going to look at this morning sometimes falls in Lent in the church calendar. Sometimes it falls just before Lent in the church calendar. This year it's falling just before Lent. It's not a, a, a Lenten story necessarily, but it is a great way to start. This period of introspection, thinking about who Jesus is, who Jesus is to you, and who you are in Jesus. And that's what I want to look at this morning. This story out of the Gospels, um, this particular Gospel story is found in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 17. It's also in Luke chapter 9 and, Matthew, and Mark chapter 9. Um, but it's just a powerful, powerful, bizarre story. And um, yeah, let me let me do it. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to in any way disparage or or cause uh, a, a bad. Say anything bad about somebody, but let me just share with you an experience out of my own life relating to this story. Okay, we're going to be looking at as you're turning to Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be looking at the transfiguration of Jesus. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, you'll learn more about it this morning. But when I was a brand new Christian, I mean, I had gotten saved at the age of 16. I was a junior in high school and I lived in Southern California and I was excited about my relationship with God. I love Jesus and I was so through I was actually became I became part of a Christian singing group. I was the youngest person in the group. It was just eight people uh, that that we all sang to to, to to track. So we didn't have live music and we would go out and do concerts. And I, I was the youngest one. I was 17. Everyone else was a million and one. And um, I mean, they were probably 40 or 50. But, you know, at that point in my life, I thought they were ancient. Um, but anyway, but we had to sing at a particular entertainment venue in Southern California. I won't say the name. You'll, some of you who've been to Southern California may know the name of this place, and that's okay. Before it was an entertainment venue, they used to grow fruit there. Okay? Um, and then it became this place where they were known for their chicken and their fruit. And then it became an entertainment venue. And I don't know, honestly, what prompted the people to do this, but they obviously had a Christian upbringing or Christian background, and they were apparently pretty enamored of the story of Jesus' transfiguration in the Bible because they actually built 
a small chapel on their grounds. Didn't cost anything to go into it. And you would go in and the lights would dim. And then it was a multimedia presentation about the transfiguration. And there was a deep voice telling all about the gospel story. I mean, reading the gospel story. And as the gospel story is being played out, all of a sudden the, the, the doors would open up in front of you. And there was Jesus standing there. And then the lights would change and Jesus would glow in the dark. (laughs) And then the lights would change and you back to normal again. Oh, it was so freaky. It really was. I mean, if you, it's probably not there anymore, but it used to be back 40 years ago. Oh my word, that was the weirdest experience. And I, but at the time in my exuberance of being a new Christian, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, if I look back at it, it's like, oh my word, oh my word. Because it literally, Jesus' eyes glowed in the dark. <laughs> because they were trying to portray something that was supernatural. And this is one of the weirdest stories in, in the gospel. And really, it truly it is. And so we're going to look at it. And before we get to, to the actual story itself, we're going to look at the chapter just before it. Because it kind of all ties together in this, in this narrative, in this look. So turn back a couple pages to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be starting Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And that says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And for those of you who aren't familiar, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And then it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, 
And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw only Jesus. They saw no one but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that Elijah first must come? He answered, Elijah does come. He will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Like I said, it's kind of a, a, a weird, crazy, bizarre story. And, and, and as I reflected on this, and I have done this a lot, not just this week, um, through my life in the 40 plus years that I've served Jesus, why in the world is this story in the Bible? And it's in all three of the Gospels, of, of the Synoptic Gospels. So it was important enough that the Holy Spirit of God said to each of the three writers, make sure you write about this. It's not anything that I have a frame of reference for. I've never in my life, I don't think, seen somebody start to glow. And I don't mean that funny, in a, in a funny way. I'm serious. I don't think I've ever experience. Now, I can tell you one time when I was a young Christian, there was a guy that I knew who was just, he was holy. I mean, this man was, he was like next to Jesus. And he even looked like Jesus. He had brown hair down to his shoulders and a full beard and mustache back when that wasn't common. And he, I mean, I couldn't look him in the eyes, literally. But that's the closest I've ever come to actually sensing that glowing translated eyes glow in the dark kind of look. And I would venture that most of you have never experienced that either. Now, let's look at this a little bit and we're going to talk about some of the elements of this. Um, first of all, Jesus and his disciples are out walking around talking. They're in the area of Caesarea Philippi, which we could go into a long thing. Those of you who've been going through the that the world may know series. There's an actual video talking about the gates of hell and the and the, the worship of Pan and all of that. That's all part of this timeline. Um, and Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, "Who are the people saying that they that I am? I mean, what's what's the scuttlebutt out in the world of what people are saying?" And they'll list all the different things. And then he said, "But who do you who do you guys say I am?" And Peter pipes up, "Well, you're the you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the Living God." And Jesus uh, commends Peter in that moment and says, you are very blessed, Peter, because you didn't learn this from any human being. You got this straight from the mouth of God. And we talked about this in Sunday school with the teens. Um, the, the transfiguration took place six days after this conversation with Jesus. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Six days before um, the transfiguration took place. So... Peter couldn't have gone, well, I saw you change and glow. So obviously you're the Christ. And we are also told that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he was baptized, 
that they saw the cloud open, the dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come down and rest on Jesus, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But then if you look at your scriptures at the beginning of that part of the, of, of the, of the gospel, you'll see that Peter's nowhere around. Because Peter and Andrew don't get called into ministry, into, into being disciples, until well after that event. So Peter didn't see the baptism of Jesus. He didn't experience the transfiguration of Jesus. But he was able to declare, you are the son of the living God because of direct revelation from the Holy Father. Jesus himself said, no human being taught you this. So even somebody saying, well, I was at the baptism and you should have seen it was really cool. That's not what was going on here. God himself, God the Father, revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Holy Spirit. Now let's move on. Um, This transfiguration, again, I have no frame of reference for it that I can point to. However, um, it is something that I can can honestly say that, that, that I feel drawn to and that I think I can explain in a way that makes sense to some of you. Um, there's a book written by uh, C.S. Lewis back in 1940. It was called The Problem of Pain. And in the introduction of that book, C.S. Lewis talks about a religious term, a theological term that actually didn't come into use until 1917. There was a, a, a German theologian whose last name was Otto. I don't have the name in front, the first name in front of me. You can look him up. But Otto coined a word out of the Latin called numinus. It's N-U-M-I-N-O-U-S. Numinus. And numinus means supernatural, otherworldly, awe-inspiring. And C.S. Lewis in trying to explain what the numinous is or what a numinous happening is or what a numinous place is, he said in this writing of of the book Problem of Pain, he said, suppose you were told that there was a tiger in the room right next door to you. You would know that you were in danger and you would very likely feel fear. But if you were told there is a ghost in the next room and you believed it, you would feel indeed what is often called fear, but it would be a different kind of fear. It wouldn't be based on the knowledge of danger, for no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to him, but the mere fact that it is a ghost. It is uncanny rather than dangerous. It is a special kind of fear, which may even be called dread. With the uncanny one, 
excuse me, with the uncanny one, has reached the fringes of the numinous. Okay? Um, he later goes on, another page over, he says, if I were to give you a modern example out of modern literature, I could tell you in the book, The Wind and the Willows, this is still C.S. Lewis talking, where the rat and the mole approach Pan on the island and rat, uh, and, and um, the mole turns to the rat and he says, rat, are you afraid? And rat turns to the mole and says, Afraid? Well, let me just quote it exactly as it says. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love of Pan. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh, mole, I am afraid. And it's this sense for these two that he's saying, I, I find him enticing. I find him lovely. I find him drawing and winsome. And I want to be with him, but I'm scared to death of him. If you think about later on, C.S. Lewis himself wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia when talking about Aslan, the lion, they would say, the characters would over and over again say, is he a tame lion? Oh no, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. And there's a sense of, I, there's a balance between I love him, I'm drawn to him, and I'm scared to death of him. And I was thinking about that and reflecting on that. And God reminded me in the book of Revelation, in the very first chapter of the book of Revelation, John is talking about his experience of his vision of the heavenly Christ. So if you go, I mean, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. But Revelation chapter one, verses 12 through 17 John wrote, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face face was like the sun shining in full strength and when i saw him i fell at his feet as though i were dead that is john entering into the numinous the very glory the very holy presence of god almighty And in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we just looked at the last book of the Bible. Look at the first book. Again, you don't have to read it. I mean, look it up. I'll give it to you and I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba, went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he laid down in that place to sleep and he dreamed. And behold... There was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until you till I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the very gate of heaven. And so in that passage, we see Jacob experiencing the numinous, the glory of God in a place. God interacting with him. I can tell you from my own experience In July of 2003, my wife and I flew up here to do an interview to see if the church was a good fit for us and whether we were going to be the pastor of this church. And uh, Christy and Al Meister uh, hosted us that weekend. And on Friday night, there was a youth ministry thing. And on Saturday, they took us all around um, the, 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 the community and around the, the Fairbanks area showing us everything. And then on Sunday we had church. Well, as we were, uh, as sometime during the day on Friday, Elwell and Christy brought us here to the church property. And we went in and talked, looked around the parsonage and then we came over here to the church and, and for whatever reason we started at the bottom, went through the basement area and then we came upstairs And we came to that door right there at the back of the sanctuary and I couldn't even enter the sanctuary. I just stood in that doorway and the tears just began streaming down as I literally felt like I was entering into the very presence of God. I couldn't have explained it then. But now I have the words. I was experiencing the numinous, the sense of the presence of God. I've had people tell me this spot right here in this sanctuary is a thin place where you can sit there if you are focusing on God and not anything else and not doing it as a novelty. But if you're there to worship right there, like Jacob saying, this is the very gate into the heavens to the very presence of God right there. So I'm not trying to belabor it, but I want you to understand what was the seriousness of what this was. This was a powerful spiritual experience for Peter, James, and John, who were just normal, everyday guys. They were best friends with Jesus. One of the I was listening to various preachers preach about this story, just trying to get insights from various people, and this one preacher said, "Well, you know why." I think why Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain with him and he left the other disciples because like, he couldn't trust them alone. <laughs> he said, there's nothing in the scripture that tells me that. But he said, I just honestly think that's probably what was going on. But the reality is, I think, and this is, this, after I heard that, I thought about, I think Jesus knew what those three guys were going to be doing in the kingdom of God. And they needed that experience. If you turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and again, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. But if you turn to Second Peter chapter 1, 
He says, verse 16 and following, we did not follow, this is Peter talking, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter had the authority of God because he had the experience of God. He could say to a crowd of people, Thus says the Lord. And there was no fear in him. Because he feared the one in whose presence he had been. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, this is another one back, going back about this idea of the numinous and, and the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, it's, it's this incredible song almost, hymn, about Jesus' uh, coming to the earth. This particular Bible doesn't have it outlined like a poem. Um, let it, it, I'm going to start at the very beginning So of chapter 2, Philippians. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That theological term is called kenosis. Jesus, as we understand from the scriptures, as we understand from our theology, Jesus is the beloved only begotten Son of God. Jesus is God. We can't explain it rationally. We can't explain it in a way that you can experience it. But you need to understand and know and believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are God. And they existed 
before anything. So if you look at the Apostles' Creed, if you look at the Nicene Creed, it says, uh, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and suffered for us under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into the heavens and he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Incredibly powerful, glorious. And when you are in the very presence of God hearing those words, the numinous is present with you. And the reason we're talking about this is it is very possible for a human being to pick up this book, this Bible, and to just read it. And to ignore the numinous when God is present. It is possible for them to harden their hearts so much that they can never experience what I hope each one of you have experienced in your walk. And if you have never experienced the numinous, as you've read the word of God, as you've walked out in God's creation, as you've entered into a space that has been set aside for worship and prayer and glorifying the Almighty, then you need to come and talk to your pastor because you're missing out on something in your walk with Christ. Everything we've done this morning, this this was God doing it because I didn't choose the songs you heard Cheyenne chose the solid rock. Other people chose songs that we did. I was dictated to, we're singing this one, Pastor, because that's your song. Roy doesn't like to sing it. Okay. Okay, fine. Okay. Psalm 99. Go back and look at that this afternoon. Powerful words about who God is. And the reason that we're doing all of this this morning is because in the same way that Peter, who experienced the numinous, in the same way that Moses experienced the numinous when he went up to Mount Sinai and entered into the glory, the cloud that was enveloping the the top of the mountain and spent 40 days there in the very presence of the Almighty as God Almighty gave him the law. And then every time Moses would go into the tabernacle to be in the presence of God, it literally says that his face glowed. Now, he wasn't transfigured in the same way that that Jesus was transfigured. He was kind of like a mirror reflecting the glory of God, as much, more so than he was entering into glory. But Jesus' transfiguration on the mount, I believe it was Horeb, um, 
in the Gospels. This was... And this is where it's going to fail, what I'm trying to say, because, because theologically, Jesus is God, fully and fully human. I, there's no explaining it. It's just what it is. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's not God wearing a mask. He's not God putting on a costume. Okay? So when I say what I'm about to say, I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea theologically. God, somehow, someway, in that moment on that mountain, we got a glimpse of the ascended Jesus who was in his glory in heaven. Was it that somehow the human part opened up a little bit and the glory of God came out? Was it somehow that Jesus was human so he was reflecting the glory of God back to the Father? Ah, we're not given any of that. But we are given in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 1 that John, who happened to be one of the three on that mountain, in his vision on Patmos got to see the ascended, the resurrected and ascended Jesus who was in his glory... And he had exactly the same response that he did on the mountain. He fell on his face in full, absolute fear and was like a dead man, it says. And that's what it means to come into the presence of God. When you, quote unquote, have your devotions... And you read one scripture passage and then you read three pages of somebody's thoughts and you pray that little printed prayer at the end of the, of the devotional passage and you call that time with God. Mm. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't do that if that's how you do it, but I'm saying you're missing out on so much if that's all you experience when you have time with God. Because if you truly spend time with God, you will begin to reflect the glory of God to the people around you. They may not physically see you glow. I would hope not. You'd get put in a chamber. But they would be able to say, something's different. They would be drawn to you. I have had people tell me, not recently, but I have had people tell me in the past, man, or not tell me personally, but I've heard that they said it about me. You can tell that that man's been with Jesus. And I was like, wow, I didn't know it showed. So my goal for my life is I want to walk around in such a way. I want to know God in such a way. I want to spend time with God in such a way that I am accessing the numinous regularly and I want to glow spiritually so that the people of this earth are seeing Jesus when they look at me and drawn to that. Because see, that's the key thing that I want you to hear. Jesus said to Peter after the declaration that Jesus was the Son of God the Christ, he said, you are blessed because you didn't get this from human teaching or experience. This is something that the Father has given you. 
And God then uses that in Peter's life to draw people to God. And I would submit that's probably the same way God works in every one of us. God draws you. He woos you. He says, come to me. All all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. You enter into vital relationship with God through the blood of Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You confess your sins. You repent of your sins. You ask for forgiveness. You receive the gift of salvation. You walk in grace. But from the moment that you accept that and become a child of God, you now have access to God. The very presence of the Holy Spirit with you every day. And you literally, you don't have the Holy Ghost in a room next door. You got the Holy Ghost right here. And so you can experience that, oh, I love him. (laughs) And I'm scared to death of him. But I love him and I want to be with him, but I'm scared to death of him. You can experience that. That should be your goal as you walk this earth until he calls you into his glory. And so my encouragement to you is this week, as you have 49 days, 48 days between now and Easter, when you're going to be trying to draw people to come to church so that they can hear about Jesus, you need to be on your face between now and then. You need to be experiencing the numinous as you are in the word, as you are praying. And if you're not, then you should ask of your heavenly father because he said in the, in the gospel of Matthew, if you ask your father for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask your father for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He knows what you need. He's going to give it to you. If you ask him for an experience of the numinous, he will grant it. But I would submit He's going to demand something of you, and that's your full attention. Because he ain't going to just do it in a 15-second thing, like a little game at an amusement park. Sit in the dark, we'll open the doors, pop goes the Jesus, close the doors, and now you get to go ride the roller coaster. Okay? Let's pray.